0: Thank you for listening to data science at home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science and artificial intelligence. It's time for data science at home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of data science at home podcast. I'm Francesco, your host podcasting from the headquarters of Amethics Technologies based in Belgium. First of all, I would like to thank all of you for trusting me with your time. I really appreciate the way you guys communicate and connect with me and, um, uh, you know, exchanging ideas about uh, past episodes and also uh, giving me some hints for the new ones. That's why I decided to start a community. And so to give you the chance to get in touch with me and also give the chance to myself to stay in touch with you, because it's always nice to exchange ideas about previous episodes, but of course, and especially new topics that might be uh, a future episode on the show. So thank you very much. In the show notes, you will find all the details and the coordinates to connect with uh, this new community. Uh, There are multiple links. We are multiple channels, of course, so you can really choose where, you know, the place you would like to be. In particular, we have the Discord community that is an amazing way to uh, keep track of all our communications and uh, requests about podcast episodes. In uh, this episode, I would like to speak about the background of of a specific method that is getting uh, on the news uh, more and more often uh, recently, Uh, now in the form of many architectures that in fact have shown to uh, be the current state of the art, at least for NLP, Natural Language Processing. And uh, we have seen, we have read probably on the news about this BERT model, for example, B-E-R-T, uh, which is an amazing model. I will give you some, you know, a brief introduction in a minute. And then we have talked about also GPT-2, which is currently the state of the art in NLP. And also, you know, it has been a bit of uh, um, a controversial decision for, for from, uh, from OpenAI not to release the full model, the full model Parameters. And so we have, um, of course, found that uh, uh, there is a GPT 2 open version uh, of the model that has been released, in fact, by another author that we interviewed on the show uh, very recently. So, first of all, what do these methods do? Well, BERT is, uh, in fact, it, it is one of the first models that has shown a particular interesting performance, you know, kind of human level performance. On a variety of language-based tasks like question answering, sentiment classification, or even classifying whether two sentences follow one another. Uh, these are, you know, relatively trivial tasks if you know for a human being, of course. But for a machine, and uh, you know, detecting the um, semantic equivalence or closeness to uh, between any two sentences from the same corpus, it's not an easy task, especially because the language is a very high-dimensional problem. So language modeling are probably one of the most challenging tasks that you know networks have to deal with for the next decade or more. And so what Bert proved, in fact, is that um, it could uh, do some kind of pre-training over two relatively trivial tasks, which is masking and uh, next sequence classification. And by using a different way of tokenizing a text, which is called word piece, I will explain all these things in detail in, uh, in a few minutes. In fact, this, uh, this approach allowed it to classify sentences and uh, to uh, determine the sentiment uh, of the two paragraphs uh, much more accurately than state-of-the-art. The same we can say about the GPT-2 model, uh, which is uh, something that has been, uh, uh, you know, discussed on the news, because it is so good that it would be extremely easy, at least that's the opinion of OpenAI, uh, is extremely easy to generate text that looks like Uh, human-generated text. And so, indeed, if we generate text with the GPT-2 model, uh, the paragraph, you know, it's kind of difficult to understand if that paragraph of text has been generated by a human being or by a machine. And so, in fact, generating fake news would be a a solo adventure uh, that could be definitely conducted, you know, on a massive scale by just a trivial algorithm or an API that simply generates thousands and thousands, if not millions of fake paragraphs of fake news given a certain seed. And so for this particular reason, OpenAI decided not to disclose the model parameters of this super accurate model. And unfortunately, actually, fortunately, uh, there are the reasons why that happened. Um, There is um, Gokaslan, who we interviewed on this show, uh, who in fact developed an alternative version pretty much the same as the GPT-2 developed by by OpenAI. And they developed this new architecture uh, and released, in fact, the model parameters. And uh, and he also trains the same model on the same data, which are publicly available. They come from Reddit. And so, uh, you know, there shouldn't be much difference between the two models, even though, uh, in fact, a slight difference, you know, there is a slight difference that can be appreciated. But in fact, you know, both models are extremely good at generating fake news or or synthetic paragraphs now what these methods do is in fact you know they are based essentially on uh, so-called auxiliary tasks which are tasks that seem trivial for human beings and probably they you know they are and they also seem kind of useless tasks but in fact the only purpose of these tasks is to train or pre-train some parts of these relatively large architectures What are these auxiliary tasks? Um, For example, there is the masking and the next sequence classification. So, the masking consists of having a certain number of words in the input sequence that are masked out, um, which means they are replaced with a random word or kept as is. And so, the task of the model is to predict for these particular masked words what the original words were. And so, instead of generating the entire denoised sequence of input, they these models, they just generate the words, well, they kind of disclose or try to predict what these masked words are. And so, by doing so, they start learning what the word can be by looking at the context or the semantic context where that word is indeed in the phrase. And so, uh, they can look, ahead, they can look behind that word, they can look around that word, in the neighborhood of that word, they can look at the previous paragraphs or previous phrase and so on. So, there is a level of complexity that can be extremely high, but what these models are really good at doing is, indeed, to disclose the masked words. By the second uh, Auxiliary task is the so-called next sequence classification. This is something that is very well known in the literature. Something that, that researchers have been doing for uh, for a for a while. Uh, I personally uh, used this task a few years ago, which consists in uh, having two sequences of a certain number of words. For example, a hundred words or two hundred and fifty-six words, and these words can be sampled by the you know by the same corpus but you know being next to each other and so they follow each other in the training corpus or they can be selected completely randomly which means that i can have you know two sentences that are indeed selected from any location in the in the corpus of interest so what happens now is that the machine learning model like a neural network like those pre-training tasks that are also called auxiliary tasks well the idea is to predict if it's the first or the second case which means if the two sentences are indeed sampled you know by from the same paragraph and so they are close to each other in the original corpus or if they're not and so of course this task you know one once you have a model that can can do such a thing can perform such a prediction in fact you don't have much added value to your use case but the important thing is that you have a model that learned very likely the inner architecture of text. And so the inner structure of text. And so In order to solve these trivial problems, these machine learning models have to learn something about text, about words, about roots, about phrases, about paragraphs. And so, in fact, automatically with such a trivial task, they can do all this. So that's why they are called auxiliary tasks, because Per se they don't add anything, but in fact they are they will add, they will create a model, they will train a model for other tasks, for example, sequence classification. What these models have in common is a very interesting architecture that is called the transformer and before the transformer there is another mechanism which is called the self-attention that is exactly what i'm going to explain in this episode so these are pretty generic methods that in fact are not just useful for the Bert or for the gpt2 or whatever model that we build on top you know all these models that we read about on the news are just special cases and applications of such an interesting and very generic approach that is indeed the transformer. So before we go to you know, explaining the transformer, which are a family of machine learning architectures, I have to make a brief introduction about, well, not so brief to be honest with you, which is called the self-attention. And uh, why we need the self-attention first, because in fact, the self-attention is the basic block of any transformer architecture. So stay with me because in this episode, I think that we are going to learn something that is extremely powerful and that can be used anywhere. It has been used so far on text, but in fact, this stuff is just waiting to be deployed on uh, on many other data sets and data sources and data types, uh, even images, for example, or sound or, you know, many other things that have a kind of a sequential form. So what is the self-attention? Well, Self-attention is a a sequence-to-sequence operation, which means that we have a black box, for example, a machine learning model, a neural network, whatever it is, we feed this model uh, a sequence, uh, which could be words, characters, pixels, let's call them items or tokens. And the output of such a model is again, another sequence of the same dimension of the input. So this means that if we have an input of, let's say, 10 elements, all right, a vector of 10 elements, x1, x2, x10, and the corresponding output vector is going to be y1, y2, y10. So, the vectors, the input vectors have 10 dimensions as well as the output vector as still 10 dimensions. Now, how do they produce this output vector y? Well, there is a very basic linear algebra operation. And remember this when I say linear algebra, because most of these transformations are in fact linear operations, which is you know which makes the method extremely powerful and fast. So each uh, element of the output, so we call it the Yi, which is the ith element of the output vector, will be calculated as the weighted sum or the weighted average over all the input vectors so this is something extremely easy because you have some kind of w you know the weights wij times xj and you sum over j right so this is something extremely simple this is linear algebra 101 the j indexes over the whole sequence and the weights sum to 1 over all j, which means that the sum of wij, so all the weights that we are weighting the sums of the input vector, will sum to 1. And so, this means that um, if you are, for example, weighting a certain element of of the input vector for 0.5 so like 50% of all the weights you have to spread the rest 50% for all the other 9 elements of the same input vector okay now where do this WIJ come from? And this is something that is, again, very, very easy. So, WIJ, which are usually called the weights of something, they are usually trained, right? So, this is in fact what we want to learn when we train a neural network. But in the case of a self-attention mechanism, these WIJ come from the input itself. And so, one can ask, how do you calculate this WIJ uh, from just the input? You know, there is no label. I'm not mentioning Y. Y is generated by the network, right? So, there is no label. This is a completely unsupervised approach. And so, where do this WIJ come from? Well... They come from a, a very simple operation. Again, something extremely simple. It's called the dot product, which is the multiplication of two vectors. Well, in fact, it's not really a multiplication. It's called a dot product, which means that uh, we are uh, multiplying and summing elements of the first vector by elements of the second vector. You know, this is basic stuff and it, some, something that is very basic for, uh, to, to learn in linear algebra. And so you take two vectors, xi and xj, and what you do to in order to calculate this wij is simply xi transpose xj. So that's the dot product of the first vector transposed and the second vector. Now, the xi is the input vector at the same position as the current output vector yi. So this means that every element of the output can be calculated by the corresponding vector input vector at the same index. And so, this allows one to calculate the Y directly from the input X. As I said, there is nothing in between. This is a completely unsupervised method. One other thing that we have to do once we perform this dot product is something, again, super easy, which is called the normalization. So, the normalization is something that allows one to remap very large numbers or very small numbers into a range that is normalized, right? So the range that we want things to be normalized is, of course, 0, 1. So we only accept things that go between 0 and 1, and we can include these two extremes. And so which function do we have in in, uh, mathematics that allows one to map a very large number to 1 and a very small number to 0? Well, of course, that's the softmax. So, the softmax is a very simple operation. It's a non-linear operation, but still very simple that allows one to input a number and mapping that number into a 0, 1 range. And so, that's exactly what one would do to, in order to have W, I, J that are normalized. So, why am I telling you all this? Well, because in fact, we are kind of done you know, except the uh, all complexity that one can have. And there is, of course, a ton of complexity that I am just hiding because it's not necessary to know now. But regardless of this complexity, in fact, the self-attention mechanism is pretty much based on these two operations, which is dot products and uh, mapping into a softmax. Why does self-attention work? Well, Self attention is something that it's you know it's it's not really easy to explain why these things work, especially on a podcast. But I will do my best to explain these things without having a whiteboard and without drawing anything. I'm I'm very much used to draw stuff. I probably should convert this podcast into a video cast. Maybe one day. So, let's think about the um, book recommendation, right? So, it's something that, for example, Goodreads or or Amazon, they all do on their users. So, I'm a very avid reader and uh, I read a lot of books and, uh, of course, many books, I, I I don't even know of their existence because... You know, I, I don't spend too much time into uh, bookstores and, uh, and so uh, there are a lot of titles that, in fact, I would never know. Uh, as if, there are, if there isn't anyone who tells me, hey, Francesco, maybe you should read that book because I know how you enjoy reading books of this type right and so that's exactly what i'm talking about is the recommendation engine this is something that you know netflix is doing on movies and uh, amazon is doing on items that people can purchase and many other uh, other minor shops are doing that on a regular basis uh, even banks do recommendations for financial services and stuff like that so you know this is not a secret sauce anymore but let's see how self attention can play a role into this context, into the context of, for example, recommending a certain book to a certain reader. Now, what we have to do usually when uh, when we are writing a recommendation engine, and again, I'm trying to simplify here because the purpose of this episode is to make you understand why the self-attention works and not exactly a uh, an introduction to uh, recommendation engines. Uh, so, Imagine that you have uh, readers and books, right? So, what we usually do when we write a recommendation engine is to Represent books and readers with uh, feature vectors, which indicate, for example, if a certain book is of how many pages, which type of book is that? If it's about politics or religion, if it's about uh, uh, programming or about uh, love, you know, it's one one of these romantic or pink novels and stuff like that. On the other side, you have individuals, you have readers, and these are you know people that like to read. They have a certain age. They have some kind of demographic graphics they uh, like to read particular genre of books particular types of books uh, they prefer books that are uh, you know very thick or 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 books that are very short even of these individuals even of these readers we represent their status in this in the form of a feature vector right and so we take these two features you know the feature vector of the reader and the feature vector of the book. And what we do, we do a dot product. So, the dot product is the multiplication. So, if we have, for example, a a feature vector of three dimensions for a book and the feature vector of another three dimensions for a a person. So, we have P and B, right? Person and book. And uh, actually, let's use uh, reader. So, we have the R feature and uh, the B feature uh, feature vector, right? So the feature vector of the book and the feature vector of the reader. Now, imagine that these feature vectors have been normalized and they are all represented by, let's say, three dimensions. So we have R1, R2, R3, right? And uh, we for the book, we will have B1, B2, B3. These are the two feature vectors that we have for book one and uh, reader one. What happens now is that if we calculate the dot product between uh, these two vectors, what we have is a score that's going to be, for example, B1 times R1 plus B2 times R2 plus B3 times R3 right? That's the dot product. And so, what we get out of this, well, we get a score, we get a number that will tell us if, you know, if the number is positive or negative, first of all, and if it's positive or negative, there is also the magnitude of that score, how big or how small that score is. And so, what that number indicates is, in fact, Kind of a match between that particular book and that particular reader. And so we will find that if we have a, a book about Romans and uh, another and a reader who loves to read, uh, you know, Romans novels, well, then that score is going to be high. Uh, on the contrary, if we have a book about uh, politics and a reader who hates, to read about politics, well, then that score probably is going to be uh, pretty small or even negative, you know, in order to indicate mismatch between the book and that particular reader. In a traditional recommendation engine, what we what one usually does is uh, annotating databases of millions of, uh, of books or millions of readers. You know, because we have millions of books in in books in all bookstores of the world, and of course millions of readers. If you think about uh, uh, you know scaling to the size of Amazon, for example, and so of course it's going to be pretty much you know impossible to annotate all these uh, individuals and all these books. By annotate, I means I mean converting or representing all these items, books, and and readers with feature vectors, right? It's going to be extremely unlikely. And so, what happens instead is that we make the book features and the reader features parameters of the model, right? And this is kind of key. It's a bit counterintuitive at the beginning, but once I could grasp it, I was like, you know, I had my wow moment. An approach that we can have we can use to solve such a problem is to make the the book feature and the reader features parameters of the model and then we ask readers of for a small number of books to give us their opinion about, you know, how good they match or mismatch to the books they are presented to. And so, this would allow us to see if the dot product between these two feature vectors matches the known preference and the known likes. And so, once we know, for example, what would the score be, you know, if there is a perfect match or if there is a good match between any two pairs, of individuals, of readers and books, then we, we train, in fact, the features to reflect these semantics, right? To reflect this, uh, this match that the user would tell us about that particular book. And so, once at the end of the training, we have basically learned what are the features that, in fact, maximize the dot product, right? Or minimize the dot product in case of a mismatch this is in fact the very basic principle that works also in the case of the self-attention mechanism. So, let's say that we are faced with a sequence of, uh, let's say, words, for example. And so, in order to apply self-attention, what we do is, for example, using an embedding vector, which means representing each word with a particular numeric vector, Think about the GLOVE system, right, that is used very widely now in uh, in NLP in order to transform each word from the English, di- uh, English dictionary into a set of numbers, usually are 300 dimensional vectors. And so if you have this embedding vector, so we will have, for example, of the 10 words that we have in input, we will have... 10 vectors of 300 dimensions each and so each sentence of 10 words will be represented by a matrix 10 by 300 right now what we do is um, using a self-attention layer that will generate an output sequence of the same dimension of the input sequence and uh, what is the dimension of the input sequence as i said it's 10 times 300 so what we want to generate is in fact 10 300 dimensional vectors in the output. How would one calculate this thing? With the same approach that I just explained, which is the dot product in order to calculate the weights. Each Y will be the weighted average over all the input vectors, where the weights are calculated as the dot product of two input vectors. And so with this simple operation, in fact, we can generate the Y. And so we can generate the output sequence of the self-attention layer. So what would we do with that? So once we have this um, unsupervised transformation of the input into something else, well, at that point, we'll continue in our you know, modeling and we'll start from this second layer and not immediately with the input layer. So the dot product, as I said, expresses how related two vectors in the input are which were related is, of course, defined by the task we said in the recommendation engine case, it's going to be the match if there is consistency between the genre of that particular book and the fact that I really like the genre of that particular book. And so, of course, this relation between two vectors can be defined and is usually defined by the particular task, by the learning task. But in fact, what we are doing by generating the y's from the input itself is in fact putting into a relation two input vectors, two vectors of the input sequence. One drawback of this approach is, uh, of course, that if we permute the input sequence, we are going to have a permuted output generation, which means that the relation between two vectors will not change. And now this means that If I have a sentence that says, uh, the cat bites the dog, and then I have another sentence that says, the dog bites the cat, so I just permute uh, two words in in the original sentence, I'm going to have the same output sequence, of course, equally permuted. But in fact, the relation between these vectors is going to stay the same. And this is a problem because in fact, from a semantic perspective in in our world, uh, this is completely different it's the cat that bites the dog or is the dog that bites the cat these are two different situations so of course i'm uh, simplifying a lot but the concept is exactly this you know this is something that you will find more and more in your training examples be it images be it or uh, text or sound or whatever it is you know a permutation is a permutation so what happens is that the self-attention mechanism, in fact, is not sensitive to these variations in the input or permutation in the input. Of course, there are strategies and tricks that one can perform in order to take into account, for example, the position of each word. And so this is something that you know goes to complicate a bit the model, but not that much, to be honest. And uh, it's something that still takes into account the position of the word in the, in the sentence. And of course, you can encode that position together with the embedding of that particular input, and you should be good to go. So, in fact, this doesn't, you know, even though this is a problem, you know, this is a, an issue that you have to take into account, but still, it doesn't limit the power of the self-attention mechanism. What does this have to do with transformers, which is the amazing BERT model or the GPT-2 model or Transformer XL model? What is indeed the trick of these models? Well, in fact, the transformer is um, it's built on top of the self-attention mechanism. And as a matter of fact, the self-attention is just one block of the entire transformer architecture. And so what is a transformer architecture? It's an architecture that is designed to process a connected set of units, for example, the tokens in a sequence or the pixel in an image, where the only interaction between units is through self-attention. This is the definition of the transformer architecture. As with other mechanisms, for example, convolutions, there is a pretty standard approach that researchers have been using over and over in order to build more and more complex architectures that could adapt to different tasks to accommodate the particular use case. What happens now is that we had exactly the same. We had a standardized or kind of standard architecture built on top of these basic blocks, like the self-attention. And in fact, if you take the input, and probably I will report what I'm describing now in the show notes of this episode, um, there is a self attention, well, there is the input layer first, and then uh, we feed uh, the first block of the network, which is a self attention mechanism, all that stuff that I just described, you know, dot products and and, and then softmax, etc. After that, we have a normalization layer. After that, we have a battery of MLPs which is multi-layer perceptron. And after that, another normalization layer. So, I repeat, we have a self-attention, a normalization layer, a battery of MLPs, and then another normalization layer. So, in fact, if you look at the source code of any transformer architecture, be it written in PyTorch or in Keras or in TensorFlow, you know, you will find a very similar way of putting things together. And so, you will find this pattern of how do we put these basic blocks next to each other. It's going to be the same. And so, you can have, of course, different layers, different depth, because, you know, some... People have more complex tasks, or they have more GPU power, and so they can uh, have the chance to, uh, you know, have a deeper architecture. But essentially what it is, is a sequence of these basic blocks. That's what is, in fact, the transformer block. Well, it turns out that this transformer block performs very well on different tasks, especially in NLP. And so we have, for example, the so-called classification transformer, uh, as well as the text generation transformer, which are all models built on top of the transformer block, and that allow us to have classifiers for text, for example. And so imagine having the same, you know, this is kind of a classic, take the IMDB, that data set of, uh, uh, of MDB reviews, uh, you know, these are positive and negative reviews, and we read the paragraphs of text, and we have to decide if that paragraph of text is positive or negative, right? So, this is a classic example. So, imagine that you have a classification transformer, and before getting to the MLP or to whatever classifier you want to use, at the end of your architecture. What we do is, in fact, transforming these these inputs. And and so, this sequence of words, well, first of all, mapping into a word embedding, and then uh, transforming all this stuff into a transformer block. And we can have, of course, uh, multiple layers of transformers that go towards the uh, output sequence. At the end of these transformer blocks, we will have another output sequence of the same dimension of the input sequence. And then what we can do is in fact averaging the uh, element of the output sequence and then pass into a, a softmax in order to determine the probability of the label if it's uh, positive or negative. Of course, in the case of a binary classifier, but we can do, we can extend this to a multi label classifier with, uh, of course, multiple labels. Another application that uh, has seen the transformer block in action is the text generation transformer, and this is exactly the GPT 2. What the GPT 2 model is doing, generating text. So, so far, we have used something like Recurrent Neural Networks or LSTMs, which are kind of an application of Recurrent Neural Networks. So, in order to generate text, uh, we can um, train a neural network to generate the next word given a, a bunch of words, right? And so, this is something that I also did a few years ago in order to, you know, I gave, for example, 20 characters as input, and so I gave batches of 20. 20 characters and I wanted my model to predict the 21st character of each batch and so I trained my network you know forever <laughs> for a kind of a couple of days and at the end what I got is that the network could in fact given a certain seed could generate a sentence uh, that made sense or kind of in the in the context of course of 20 characters which is not a lot but in fact it could build for example words that at least they belonged to the typical English vocabulary. It turns out that with a transformer, all this stuff works much better than recurrent neural networks for a simple reason. It's because there is a transformation that takes into account how input sequences are related to each other. And this is very important because this makes, first of all, faster training. And of course, it also leads to better long-term coherence, which is very important when you are doing, for example, text generation. You don't want a word, you know, the next word to be generated completely out of context. You want, in fact, that the network kind of generates words that are at least in the same topic of the context that you gave during training. And so, it turns out that the self-attention mechanism and the transformer block on top of which this is all built works much, much better than, for example, a similar recurrent neural network model that are, you know, very well known to the community. To recap, I think that this mechanism is extremely powerful. It's something that will give us some news in the near future because it's extremely simple. It's very easy to implement and it's, of course, generic enough to be applied to pretty much any domain and any data type. I'm really looking forward to a lot more research in the field and a lot more use cases that uh, take advantage of this amazing finding and amazing architecture and uh, i am sure that uh, we are going to be impressed in the next few months for sure i really hope you enjoy the show and uh, of course if there is something to ask do not hesitate to uh, visit us on uh, our discord server All the coordinates will be reporting the show notes of this episode. We also have a restyled uh, website of datascienceathome.com. So please have a look at the show notes of each episode directly from the website. And uh, of course, do not hesitate to subscribe to the newsletter, also reporting the show notes. Thank you very much for taking the time following this episode and the show overall. I really appreciate that. Talk to you next time.